0: Hey, my name is Sean Sears, and the lead pastor here at Grace Church. And I'm really excited for the teaching in James chapter 3 today. And I'm dreading it because it's a little bit too close to home. It uh, points out some of the things in my own heart that I struggle with. Uh, But in James chapter 1, two weeks ago, we talked about uh, the three different truths that James said every Christian needs to, to understand right up front. Number one is just because you found faith in God that you're a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that God's going to wave a magic wand over your life and all problems go away. You're still going to uh, walk through the same valleys that everybody else is going to walk through. Uh, but the second truth is, but the difference is, is that we, we grow through those valleys. That's the promise that we have from God and the companionship of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. That's his job is to help us grow through the hard times. And then the third truth that James starts off this letter to uh, with is, is that we find purpose in, in our hard times, that God doesn't waste that pain. And neither do we, and that the same comfort that God gives us through the valley of the shadows of death that we walk through, we then can share with others who are about to walk through those same valleys. Last week in James chapter 2, uh, what he does is he connects our heart to our hands, the things that we, does, uh, the things that we do. He says that if you genuinely are something, uh, it will show up. In the things that you do and something that you do, right? Like you're you can't say you believe something if it doesn't affect the way you live your life. Uh, you could say that you're a great athlete, but if you if you have no stamina when you run, right? Like if you can't do push-ups, if you can't like depends on what sport, but somebody can talk a big game, but if they can't back it up with their actions, then then shut your mouth. That's essentially what James what James says in chapter two. So while in James chapter two, he connects our heart to our hands. In James chapter three, he connects our heart to our mouths. Uh, And man, I've I've got a big mouth. I, my mom has told me my whole life. I, I walk into a room mouth first and uh, I, I, I hate that she's right. It just makes me sound bad, but I'm an extrovert. I, I love talking. I talk for a living. Like this is, I, I love doing this, I love communicating, I love talking to people, I love going to parties where I don't know anybody and the challenge of connecting with, finding connections with people, so I'm, I'm constantly talking all the time, pray for the introverts in my family, um, but talking all the time, and I don't know if it's because I'm extroverted or because I have ADHD, but sometimes my mouth gets ahead of my brain right? And I, I get into trouble. And so as I was preparing for the teaching this weekend, James was poking me in the eye on a lot of the stuff that I I need to start working on, right? Some of these things I've already known about and have been working on, but it just shows that I still have a lot more more work to do. I'm going to start by asking and, and talking about our mouths, uh, who's your favorite trash talker, right? Like you know what trash talking is, right? Like when you... um. It's that sarcastic person who has always got something to say back or, or um, Muhammad Ali, right? Uh, like that guy used to talk so much trash before his fights that uh, man, everything he said made national news because it was so inflammatory, but there was nothing anybody could say about it because the dude could back up what he was saying, right? Uh, so I actually Googled some of the best trash talking lines of all times and not surprisingly, most of them come from athletes, and uh, it's, it's like Larry Bird in the 1980s. This is actually top 10 according to Bleacher Report, trash-talking moments of, all, uh, of, of sports history. In 1986, All-Star Weekend, it's where they get the dunk contest and the, the three-point shooting contest and those different things. Um, he's looking around during the warm-up drills for the three-point thing, and when a reporter asked him um, on camera, said, uh, Larry, who are you looking for? And he looks around and goes, I'm just looking to see who's going to finish second. Right, like that's, <laughs> and everybody heard him say that, and it didn't matter because he ended up winning, the three-point contest that year anyway. So he could back it up. What are you gonna do? I mean, you could hate that he's saying this, uh, but you can't. You can't say that it's not true. But sometimes it back backfires. And this is one of the biggest backfire moments in trash talking history, uh, for sports at least. In 1992, the U.S. Olympic team had—they uh, call it their dream team, right? It was everybody. In fact, I think everybody on the dream team ended up in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but the—you the know—two of the biggest ones from from that team that you'll probably know, even if you're not uh, a sports person, is Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson. And it, it, during one of their um, uh, practices, uh, scrimmage—they they had a scrimmage where Michael Jordan got to pick his five, and then uh, Magic Johnson got to pick his five, and they scrimmaged each other in front of the press. And uh, coming out of the gates, right as the game was started, Magic Johnson's team was up 12 to two, and it was starting to look pretty embarrassing. So Magic Johnson, as I understand, if I get a detail wrong, forgive me, but Michael Jordan's in the huddle with his team, and Magic Johnson walks by and he goes, too bad Air Jordan didn't show up today. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh, like, <laughs> and then Michael Jordan hit every single shot after that, like that just lit him up and he ended up destroying Magic Magic Johnson's team. I'm, I'm wondering if there's ever been a time that you've said something that was like, oh, felt so good to say, but as soon as you said it, you wished you hadn't. You ever done that before? Have you ever like had the like for a lot for a lot of us, we don't think of the good comeback until the moment's gone and we're in our car and we're like, oh, oh, now, crap, I wish I was still in front of them because I now I know what I would say, but some of us have that gift. we can we can say it. and and maybe it wasn't a, a, a snappy comeback. but maybe maybe you got your feelings uh, twisted, your heart got turned sideways and and you come at some came at somebody. And truthfully, I think the more we know someone, uh, the more we have the ability to expose their vulnerabilities and hurt them. Maybe you've done that. I'll bet you if I gave you a couple of minutes to think about it, and, and if I were to ask you, what is the most hurtful thing anyone has ever said to you? For some of you, you can instantly, man, it come, it came to your mind already. And for some of us, if we, you just give me a couple of minutes. I I know that there's been some stuff that people have said to me that have stayed, that have stayed with me. Maybe 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 there's something that you said. I, m- I remember when uh, Garrett and Lauren were little, uh, Ryan wasn't born yet, and um, Garrett had done something to Lauren, and I was getting on to him, and and he was blowing it off. And I remember thinking that I need him to feel the weight of how he hurt his sister, and I, I I, just looked at him as though I hated him. I obviously don't hate my kid, but I tried to give him a look that would make him feel a certain way, and mission accomplished. Like I remember like the look that I gave him was like contempt, hate, and disgust rolled into one, and he saw the look on my face and just wilted and crumpled on the floor and just started like he wasn't crying like a brat crying he was sobbing as though he was deeply wounded and I, oh my gosh even now telling you that story I just I wish I could go back because I I hope moments like that didn't stay in the back of his mind and shape the person he became now, I'm thankful to God he's he's turned out he's turned out fan, fantastic in spite of some of those things but I don't think I'm the only one who's ever done that and and maybe some of the most embarrassing moments of your life come from the things that you've, you've said, or maybe you made a promise that you couldn't, you couldn't keep. So while James 2 describes how our actions prove we follow Jesus, James chapter 3 shows how our words do also. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in James chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 1, and here's what he says. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church Uh Uh-oh, this is me, right? Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church for we who teach will be judged more strictly. So as somebody who teaches in the church, this verse, number one, isn't one of my favorites uh, and it does make me a little nervous. But the truth is, I don't have to like this verse to be true. I just have to adjust. Because it is. Right? So the first thing he does in James chapter 3 is he comes to the Christians, the followers of Jesus, who actually have a speaking role in the body of Christ. Now, the whole chapter isn't to those people. He just says, now listen, those of you who are teachers, you need to know that everything I'm about to say to everybody, you're held to at an even higher level of accountability. But James chapter 3, verse 2, now he's addressing everybody, understanding that those of us who have a speaking role in the church are held to this even more strictly. James chapter 3, verse 2 is spoken to everybody when it says, Indeed, we all make mistakes, and now he's including everybody. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. If we could control our tongues, we could also control ourselves in every other way. Holy cow, what James is saying, that for most people, their biggest problem isn't what they do, it's what they say. Now, it might be getting really quiet around you because either, and this is probably going to be true for sure, if you're married or you're dating. For you or the person that you're in a relationship with, or if you're just sitting next to a group of friends it got quiet because somebody in your group feels like James is pushing in on them a little bit that if you could control your mouth holy cow so many of your problems would go away and your relationships would would heal themselves like they would they would they would they would become healthy and that's i mean it's true i just you know what i'm okay with him taking a flashlight to this part of our lives, because it's not something we talk about much. We feel like like it's okay for us to say what we want to say because it's true. But there's a, uh, there's a, there's a quote from a pastor and I think he's based in Oklahoma, his name is Craig Rochelle. Uh, he says, everything a Christian says should be true. But that doesn't mean everything that's true should be said by Christians. Right? Like that's, <laughs> we'll justify sometimes some very difficult or harsh things that we say by uh, claiming that, well, it's just true. It's what I feel in the moment. it's what I It's what I believe. Uh, but just because it's true or just because it's what I believe doesn't mean that it always needs to be said. That's the point that James is trying to make in verse 2, that if you could just control If you had a better filter on the things that you say, you'd have a better experience in the relationships that you're in. That's all he's saying. And that brings me to the first of only two points that I'm going to bring out of James chapter three today. And that's this, your words matter. They matter. Right? Here's, here's a question. What matters more, your actions or your words? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> like, right? like, I don't know. I mean, think back to the people who have blessed you. Think back to the people who have hurt you. Was it their actions or their words? And I'll bet you it was some type of a combination of the two. It's probably not just one or the other. Maybe it started with one, but it included the other. Or it started with the other and included the one. It's just that they kind of both play a significant role not only in our relationship uh, to ourselves, to our, to our loved ones, but the way that we interact with other people uh, also. Here's what he says in verse 3. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit that we put in its mouth. If you've ever been on a horse, uh, one of those trail rides or whatever, you know what that's true. You've got this gigantic, like how heavy are horses? Uh, I don't know, 800 pounds? thousand pounds? I, I don't even know. But then you put this little bit in their mouth, this little bitty thing right here. And if you can control the horse's mouth, you can control the entire animal. He keeps going. Verse four says, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses for the ship to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. So he's got three rapid fire metaphors for the tongue, for the mouth. Uh, The first is the bit in the horse's mouth that that controls wherever it goes. The rudder on a ship that controls uh, wherever it goes and matches in a forest. And here's the thing that I want you to get from this section of the teaching, and that's this. Every word that comes out of your mouth is going to do something. Every word coming out of your mouth is doing something. The bit moves the horse down the path or off the path. So do your words. Your words either uh, encourage people to stay on the path or it pushes them off. It either brings them closer to you or pushes them farther away. It either reveals to them the will of God for their life or it turns their heart uh, cold towards the will of God for their life. Like every word that comes out of your mouth is doing something. The rudder turns the ship, into the wave or abreast of the wave. In the same way, we either help people get through the next obstacle or the things that we say become a part of the next obstacle. And the match speaks to the smallness of something that we say, leading to the bigness of something done. Um, Good or bad. Uh, You guys have heard the phrase we say when we were little kids. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Words will never hurt me, right? <laughs> I call bull of that, and you and I both know it's true. Like we've we've said, well, it's true that that's not true. Is the point I'm trying to make? Like that's something that we said to defend ourselves against the pain of the words that were said, or it was something that a teacher gave us so that when we were bullied, rather than stopping the bully, the teacher just wanted us to ignore what they were saying. But I don't know if that's something that any of us can honestly actually do. I think it would be more accurate to say, sticks and stones will break my bones, but your words may stick in my head for the rest of my life. That would be an accurate statement. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words will shape the way I see myself and my potential. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but your words make me feel small and insignificant. All of us can think of something said to us decades ago that still pops into our head and still threatens our happiness, our success, or our contentment. Am I right? James says, that it isn't always a huge scandal or some great regret that keeps us from being spiritually complete, but it's the lack of control that we have over our mouths that keep us from becoming spiritually complete. That's why he says, if we could, in verse 2, if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control every other area of our lives also. And it's not the idea that I become perfect and I never sin. But the the, the Greek word behind the word perfect means complete. Like, I would come to completeness in my maturity as a follower of Jesus if I could just watch the stupid things that come out of my mouth uh, and and catch them. Uh, Words are more, by the way, than the syllables that actually come out of your mouth. It's what you mean by the tone of the words that come out of your mouth, the tone of the syntax. So it's not just the the structure of the words, the things that we say matter. Uh, yes, the words actually matter, but also the tone in which we say them. Uh, in the example I just gave of, of Garrett uh, as, a, as a five-year-old, it's, it's the expression, it's the demeanor in which the words are said. It's what you type in your posts on social media. Like these things carry weight with people. And while what you're posting on social media might be factually true, the facts of the things being said aren't any more important than the impact of the way it's said does that make sense like sometimes you can be right but be wrong about being right i i've done that one and I don't want to talk anymore about that part of the sermon, because that that makes me feel feel it too much. But it's it, dang it, it's true. Um, Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is preaching. Uh, then Jesus called the crowd together to come and hear him, and then here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 10. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you; you are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Now, there was an argument that had been started because Jesus' disciples were eating without washing their hands. Now, the Pharisees and grandmothers hate that. If you're at your grandma's house, you best wash your hands before you sit down at the dinner table. And if you're around religious, hyper-religious Jewish political leaders, make sure you wash your hands also. The disciples didn't, and it starts a huge argument, and Jesus' defense of his disciples is that it's not the dirty food, right? Your your hands weren't washed, and then you handled your food, your sandwich, and then you eat the sandwich, and they're saying, oh, now you're impure. Now you're spiritually unhealthy and unholy because of the dirt that went into your body. And Jesus said, it's not the dirt that goes into your body that defiles you. It's the dirt that comes out of your mouth that defiles you. The Pharisees were obsessed with cleanliness as a means of holiness, but Jesus wanted them to see that it was their heart that was making them dirty. So verse 15, uh, then Peter said to Jesus, Matthew chapter 15 still, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Don't you understand yet? Jesus asked. Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes out into the sewer. That's all we'll say about that. But the words that you speak come from the heart, and that's what defiles you. Bad stuff going into your body keeps going until it passes out of your body, but the words that come out of your mouth started in your heart. The person you really are, Jesus is saying, is proven by the things that you do and the things that you say. In verse 2, James had said, We all make mistakes. Remember, that's when he starts to include everybody. Your words matter as much after you made the mistake as they did when you made the mistake. So my encouragement to you is that you remember, James started off this whole letter by saying, when you fall into trouble, if the trouble that you've fallen into comes from the words that came out of you, do the humbling and hard, and necessary work of going back to that person with different words, with reconciling words, with words of humility, seeking restoration of the relationship. So you're going to make mistakes. So make sure your words match your recognition of your contribution to the dysfunction in this situation. And that brings me to the second of only two points I wanna make in today's teaching, and that's this. Our words bring life or death. Back in James chapter three, he says this in verse six. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. So I'm thinking James was either married to a woman who had a sharp mouth, or maybe one of their siblings was this way, but he knew the kind of damage that happens because of the words that people speak. And all he's saying is you've got to recognize that your words can do significant damage or your words can bring life. Like your words, as we said in the first point, are doing something, all of your words they matter. Everything that you say matters. And the reason why they matter is they either bring life or they bring death. Someone said one little thing in your life and it's caused this long thread of destruction, right? Can you think back to that thing? That's all James is saying. There's there's a little spark and it can burn an entire forest. Somebody can say one, and and I've got examples for this, but I'm, I'm betting you could probably come up with a better example than me like you're probably thinking of something that somebody said that they thought was small or insignificant or not a big deal, but it has significantly wounded you and you still, you might even still be emotionally bleeding over this or maybe there's a scar down this part of your heart because of that small thing that they said that set your whole life, at least for a little while, on fire. James chapter 3, verse 7 says, People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptile, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue it is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Holy cow. Wow. Like this guy has some very passionate opinions about our ability to control the tongue. And what he's saying is, man, listen, I, I know people and it's easier to train a horse, a dog, a monkey, a cat, a dolphin, a killer whale than it is For the average person to control the words that are coming out of their mouth so what hope do we have if like if it's as difficult as what he's saying then what hope do i have the apostle paul was talking about his struggle with sin and the things that he did and said in romans chapter 7 verse 24 and here's how he put it he said oh what a miserable person i am who will free me from this life that is dominated by my sin and my death and death who What a miserable person I am when I consider how difficult it is for me to control. Like he's like, man, I'm getting like really like dark about this, like who can deliver me from the stuff that I I can't help saying? And he answers his own question in verse 25 when he says, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the same is true for you. Thank God that God has given us his Holy Spirit, whose job it is to sound the little warning, the little siren, the little alarm in the back of our head right before we say something. And if you're a Christian, you felt that. Uh, You were about to say something that maybe you were completely justified in saying, uh, that you might have every right as a personal right to say. And right as you were about to say that, there's a part of you in the back of your mind, the Holy Spirit's like, "Eh, don't. Now You may have or you may not have, depending on whether or not you obeyed the voice of God in your heart or not. If you ignored the voice of God in your heart, you probably had some type of rationalization for it, but that's what Paul's referring to. He says, I thank God that the answer is through Christ Jesus our Lord. Then James explains the reason why our mouth and our faith must match in James chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. Sometimes it praises our Lord, our mouths, and Father, and sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God, that's what our mouths do. We'll come on Sundays, and we'll sing praises to God, and then on Monday we curse people that are made in God's image. And James says, I don't understand that. That doesn't make any sense. Verse 10 says, And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Like, you would agree with this, right, is what he's saying. Like, if you show up on the weekend to praise the creator of the universe, but you treat like trash those he actually created you'd have to recognize that the problem now is in you, not in them. That's the point that he's trying to make. Verse 11, does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and salt water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. So here's the problem. We say that we follow God the source of life, the source of love, the source of holiness. But often our words are death, hate, and corruption. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus echoes this same sentiment when he says, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. There you go. That's why the words we speak are a problem is because it's revealing something more transparent about our heart than we realize. Uh, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. and the evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So here's a question for you. If you want to know how your heart is actually doing, how healthy you are in your relationship with God, examine the words that come out of your mouth. Because here's the truth, here's what I want you to know from this part, is that you can tell how your heart is doing by listening to the words coming out of your mouth. I'm going to leave you with a couple of passages of Scripture that I think are helpful in this regard. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. This is the Apostle Paul now. And so the Apostle Paul, Jesus, and, and James have been saying the same things through this entire series, but the Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. He said, don't use foul or abusive language. Man, this has to do with our potty mouths, right? Or the way that we talk down to people or yell at them. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So if we're going to examine ourselves, here's the question. Are your words good and helpful? Because whatever words are not good and whatever words are not helpful are words that should remain unsaid. So if not, if the words that you've said have not been good and helpful, and you can think of somebody that you've spoken bad and unproductive things to, then you need to go back to those people and apologize. And you need to keep doing that over and over and over and over again because the more you catch it, repent of it, Seek forgiveness and reconciliation for it, the more likely you are to turn up the dial on your sensitivity to the words that you speak before they actually come out of your mouth. In the last passage of Scripture, I'm just going to read this, is in Ephesians chapter 5. And so I'll wrap this time up with just telling what Paul said to the church of Ephesus. He said, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you're his dear, dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Jesus. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse, inappropriate jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God, uh, of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in these things uh, that people do. For once before you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So now you ought to be living acting and speaking as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness and instead expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in, uh, do in, in secret. So I'm going to wrap this up by asking a couple of reflective questions. Uh, The first question would be this. Um, Do you want to win the argument or do you want to win their heart? Because you might only be able to do one thing. And I'd ask you to consider if your goal is appropriate. Uh, Do your words push people toward God or away from Him? Do your words bring people closer to you or turn them away from you? Do your words... Help people become intrinsically motivated to become the people God created them to be. Are there things that you talk about if replayed before God would embarrass you? If the answer to any of those questions is yes, then dang it, we got some homework. I do. I don't want to tell you which one of those I struggle with more because it's none your business. And I'm not asking you to tell me which one you struggle with most. What I'm asking is for you to consider what the Holy Spirit is telling you you need to work on next and get to work on it now. That's what I'm asking. So if you would bow your head with me and we'll pray. God, I'm thankful for James speaking as your Holy Spirit led him to not only address the things that we do, needing to match the things that we say we believe, but also the words that come out of our mouth, the things that we say matching the things that we say we believe also. God, I pray that the words that come out of our mouth would be good and helpful. I pray, God, that there would be fresh water that always comes out of our mouth and that we stop being so stinking salty. Um, God, that we would catch the things that we say that are insensitive or that bring death or are uh, corrupt or are inappropriate um, before they come out of our mouth. God, for all of the times that we have said things to people that we felt completely justified and even strangely rewarded for saying to people, I pray that we would consider the possibility that we may have left human shrapnel uh, in our wake. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would point out the people that we need to go back to to seek forgiveness from and to restore those relationships. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God, but If you're going to examine the things that you do and the things that you say and you were to present those things as evidence for where you stand before God as a Christian, I'm wondering if you would say that there's enough evidence to prove that you are a devoted follower of Jesus. Because the things that you do, the things that you say, help others live like Jesus, love like Jesus, give like Jesus, and serve like Jesus. Because if they don't, there's a possibility that you might not be a devoted follower of Jesus. You might believe all of the right things, but by faith, it's not made any difference in your life. So I don't know if it's even real. Satan believes that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, but he's not in a right relationship with God because he's never repented and given his heart and life to God. And that's what I'm asking you to do. Your prayer would be, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, raising from the dead with new life. I want that. Change any part of my life. I am 100% open and available to you, God, for whatever you want. I'm all in. Can you make that your prayer? If you're a devoted follower of Jesus and there's a sin in your heart or a pattern of, of sin in your life that God's pointed out, would you confess that and make it right? And if there's somebody that you need to reconcile with? Somebody you've hurt, or you've contributed to the dysfunction of this relationship that God is speaking to your heart about talking to. Will you commit to God right now when you will do that? And then I'm going to ask you one step farther. Would you think of one person you can share that commitment with who can help hold you accountable? God, I pray that you're pleased by the decisions that we're making in our heart right now. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name, and we say together, amen.